Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. I'm Nasreen. And I'm Manali. Happy holidays, Manali. Are you excited for the new year? Of course. The end of the year means time off from work, presents, and New Year's parties with lots of champagne. What kind of stuff do you have planned? I'll be hanging out with my cats, working on my cat lady status. Oh, um, okay, that sounds fun too. Well, the end of the year also means it's time for our annual bonus episode. I do enjoy our bonus episodes, especially this year because we've got some listener questions. That's awesome. We love our listeners and I'm glad they're sending us questions. So this is 2023 winter bonus, wash your hands of greenwashing. Nasreen, what is greenwashing? So there are many definitions of greenwashing, um, but one definition is that it is the process of conveying a false impression or misleading information about how a company's products are environmentally sound. So basically, a company will try to deceive you about how green or environmentally friendly their product is. Yeah, so it doesn't even necessarily need to be deceptive. Sometimes they might just not be clear in what they're conveying as a message, and sometimes it could be, you know, slightly misleading on the labels. So we had a couple of listener questions in this area. Is there any way to tell up front that a product is greenwashed or that a company is practicing greenwashing? Are there any telltale signs that we should look for? And the question is, how to tell if someone is greenwashing? Are there any telltale signs? So what kind of telltale signs do you know about for greenwashing? I think one telltale sign is if they use sort of extreme language, anything where they state this is the best or the most sustainable. Things that claim biodegradability or carbon neutrality or eco-friendly without any numerical proof or metrics about how they're measuring it. This is something that we talked about in our recent episode on biodegradability, you need to make sure that there is a time scale or a number of years as to when something will degrade. You can't just say biodegradable because everything is technically biodegradable at some point. When it comes to sustainability, most products have some sort of a trade-off, right? Like you have products that are made from more renewable resources, but the trade-off is that it takes more water or energy to make for something like paper or wood-based products. Plastics may use less energy to make, and because they're lightweight, they use less fuel when transporting, but they can lead to microplastics. So any company not willing to admit sort of the nuances or the trade-offs in um, the sustainability of their product, um, that's not great because all, most of these things do come with trade-offs. They're not just black and white. Yeah, and a lot of the times people will, you know, deliberately obfuscate the data or not share what they mean by eco-friendly. They'll just say this product is eco-friendly, and that's a telltale sign that there's something fishy going on. Um, So a lot of the times the response is just to, you know, be skeptical when things advertise like that, or if there's posts on social media, you know, maybe question or comment on their products, ask for more information. 
And sometimes companies might get really defensive or not provide clear data or information. And that is very clearly a telltale sign. It's a red flag. There's this one bamboo paper company who I won't mention because I'm nice and also I can't. I don't remember <laughs> the name of it. So I started on their social media to try to ask questions about um, how sustainable is their bamboo paper because they were really knocking tree-based paper and they were super aggressive and super mean. So then I was like, Do, are you actually certified? Like, you know that a lot of the paper that's made from trees isn't actually bad because they're sustainably forested and then they were just like very aggressive to the point of like insulting me and like other people too not just me just anyone like commenting and asking questions um so yeah just keep an eye out for that if they can't provide you with data that's an issue or if yeah. they can't provide some sort of certification or anything like that yeah and on that note you know typically paper products and wood products as we'll get into a little bit later they typically are certified to be coming from sustainable sources so realistically getting um wood-based or tree-based paper is not bad for the environment bamboo does tend to grow faster than regular trees so bamboo paper could be beneficial but there's no reason to believe without proper data that it's inherently better than paper or paper products coming from trees. And I think even a lot of the bamboo paper companies have to get the FSC certification. And so if they're doing that, they're right on par with other fiber sources, including trees. Yeah. And we keep mentioning data, you know, sometimes the data for recycling rates of products, sometimes the data for, you know, a company's uh, carbon production rate, carbon emissions, these are publicly available. You can access a lot of this stuff on the Environmental Protection Agency's websites, and even state and local governments will have this information available if you ask for it. You just need yeah. to know where to look, and a lot of the times Google searching is enough. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper, but definitely there are ways to get this information. The next question is, hello, longtime listener, first time caller. My question is, what is a famous example of greenwashing and what were the ramifications for the company after being exposed for greenwashing? Um, so we just mentioned that there's, you know, kind of some broader categories like labeling a product as recyclable, but not really making it clear where to recycle it, how to recycle it especially when something has the triangular arrow symbol. One big example here was Keurig. Uh, Keurig was labeling a lot of their K-cups, the plastic K-cups, as recyclable. But unfortunately, none of the actual recycling facilities wanted to collect it. So there's been a $10 million lawsuit that um, Keurig has had to uh, pay out to civilians because they filed a class action lawsuit since people were buying these K-cups thinking that, you know, these are recyclable, they can be just put into my recycling bin. But ultimately, the recycling facilities won't take it. So they end up in the landfill or they end up, you know, clogging up the recycling stream and actually making it worse to be able to recycle other products as well. 
And fun fact, the term greenwashing came from the 1960s when the hotel industry would place the notices on hotel rooms asking guests to reuse their towels to save the environment. But really, they were just reducing their costs and it wasn't really hugely different in terms of environmental impact. But I mean, I still will reuse my towels because I'm like, I don't need this to be washed after one day of me using it. But you know. Yeah. And honestly, if that's not something you do at home, there's no reason to do it in a hotel. (laughs) Do you have any other examples, Nasreen? Another one that you might see in real life is the Starbucks cups when they started to release these strawless lids where it's just like curved so you can just sip it like a sippy cup rather than a straw. Apparently, it turned out that actually was more plastic than just using a straw. I don't know if they got sued, but that was it was called out that that isn't actually that helpful. Um, I don't think that they got sued, but I do believe that a lot of critics came about and started speaking about this lid because they're using ultimately more plastic. The problem is the recycling rates of plastic are still really low. So even though it's not straws ending up in the landfill, ultimately more overall plastic is ending up in the landfill. TerraCycle, where I used to work, had gotten called out for greenwashing, specifically where the um, companies that were participating made it seem like people could recycle those things for free. But it turned out that the consumers actually had to pay to recycle those things. And so the consumers were paying the cost of recycling where it appeared that the company should be paying those costs. And so TerraCycle got called out um, and had to change some of their practices with that. Yeah. And a lot of the fashion brands recently have also been um, caught greenwashing. You know, H&M launched a line of green clothing that was titled Conscious. Um, They claim to use organic cotton and recycled polyester. But basically all of that turned out to be just a marketing tactic to make themselves appear more environmentally friendly. And there's not really any legal definition for the conscious or green clothing that H&M is claiming to use. So that's basically a way of greenwashing and make you think that you're buying something that's better for the environment um, when really you're just buying something that's going to end up in the landfill as uh, textile waste. Um, There's also, I think um, some of the big examples are companies that are claiming to offset carbon. Carbon. Yeah, that was one of the big ones that um, got Delta in trouble and they're currently facing a lawsuit. Um, They started printing on their napkins that Delta flights are carbon neutral or they're aiming to be carbon neutral. Um, So on their napkins, they actually started printing that carbon neutral since March 2020 or something. Hmm. But how do you even, like if the thing you're doing is burning fuel, how are you offsetting that much carbon? That's, I don't know how you offset that much carbon, which is why I think there's a lot of companies that have a problem with Delta's claims because ultimately they're trying to Uh, make people feel better about flying. But really, anytime you fly, it's a lot of fossil fuel being burned. And so they are, they're trying to achieve carbon neutrality by purchasing carbon credit, but that's a lot of money. 
I really don't know how this carbon credit works. Like, what are you planting enough trees? The market where you're buying um, carbon credit doesn't necessarily have good accounting. And so this lawsuit is basically that Delta has exaggerated, you know, the amount of carbon offsets they're doing, and they have not been carbon neutral as they promised since 20, March 2020. So they, they pledged to invest a billion dollars to reduce its carbon footprint, but it has already missed its target once in 2021. They did spend $137 million to buy carbon offsets to, neutral, to neutralize the amount of CO2 emissions they had, but it, it wasn't enough because they spent more than that. So that would be a really that was like a really big example, and that's currently having having lawsuits and implications. I think the lawsuit came about in October of this year. Interesting. So that's a story to follow, and if you know we find out more about it, we'll definitely come back to it in the coming months. The only sort of industries I could believe that could effectively do carbon neutrality is ones that have access to the resources that remove carbon from the earth which are the forestry industries or maybe agriculture yeah i don't know otherwise so that kind of leads us to you know some of our other questions one of them that came in in writing was about whether compostable materials or compostable packaging and plastics are actually better. And we can actually look at this question from the carbon footprint and carbon emission standpoint as well. So it really depends. When a company offers a compostable alternative product, the odds that the consumers will actually compost that product is quite low. Um, most compostable products are only able to degrade in industrial facilities um, with proper collection and infrastructure available to do that. And if that's not an option, then the compostable items will end up in landfill anyway. Yeah. And honestly, most of the compostable materials um, are typically made with corn, which is an annual crop, and it's really water and energy intensive to grow and can only be grown in a monoculture system. It has to be seeded, watered, and the soil has to be tilled. And there's a lot of pesticide use as well. So basically, it's not better to be using cornstarch in order to make these compostable materials. They typically do cost more energy to make than you know polyethylene-based um, products. So ultimately, if it's going to end up in the landfill, it's better to start with polyethylene than it is with cornstarch. Like even with the whole microplastics issue? I mean, yeah, because the PLA is going to break down into like microplastics, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Because it's just going to yeah. be PLA microplastics as opposed to polyethylene microplastics. Gotcha. This makes sense. And then there's also sometimes it's kind of funny and ironic that a lot of the compostable utensils and stuff that you get will really be packaged in a plastic bag. <laughs> which is not compostable. So the wrapper or the plastic film is not biodegradable or recyclable. That's not good either. Um, I think if you buy certified home compostable products, it could be better since those are likely to break down in your own home compost piles. And typically they'll even break down if you just put it into soil, if, if it's made of something like PBAT. What is PBAT? An excellent question. It's a polybutylene adipate co 
Interesting. It's it's completely synthetically made, so it does require fossil fuels to make, which is bad, but the end of life is better. However, there are more carbon emissions from making it. So the next question was a write-in, and it was specifically asking about laundry detergent sheets. So the uh, laundry detergent sheets that they were using um, were plant said they were plant-based, and they wanted to know how can you check. Um, it said that 91% of it was plant-based, and what is the other percentage? So I have some plant-based laundry detergent sheets at home, and I looked at the labeling and then the ingredients. And the labeling said it's plant-powered. So based on that, I'm thinking that it's mostly bio-based polymers that are in there. But it turns out the only thing that's plant-based is the surfactants, supposedly the things that do the actual cleaning, while the rest of it is a synthetic polymer. And then I have some Tide Pods. So I looked at the Tide Pods. And the Tide Pods also use that same synthetic polymer. So they're exactly the same in terms of their base polymer. So one isn't really, excluding the surfactants, one's not really that much more plant-based than the other. But if you look at the advertising for these uh, detergent sheets, they'll often show you Tide Pods and like the goo and the gunk that's left over if it doesn't properly dissolve which is just the exact same polymer. It just hasn't dissolved. So I don't really know how the sheets are more friendly, eco-friendly in that, in terms of, in terms of that. Yeah, that's, I will say when using, you know, laundry sheets or a powder laundry detergent, you do get the benefit of not paying for or having the emissions from transporting water. Um, concentrates are always better for that sense. Laundry sheets especially are also packaged in uh, paper boxes, which have better recycling rates. In those senses, sheets are generally a little bit better, um, or powder is generally a little bit better than you know regular liquid Tide, but not in the way that they're claiming that they're fueled by plants or anything. Yeah, so there's, there's benefits to using the sheets, but it's a lot more nuanced than is explainable on like the labeling. And so the next part of that question is, how can you check? Um, the simplest way is just to Google the ingredients and compare ingredients. Like Wikipedia will is generally pretty good about what it is and how it works. And so you can at least start getting an idea. And then the more you see it, the more you'll be familiar with what things are. Yeah. Another question that we had in a similar vein was um, about tree planting. If a toy company says that they're committed to planting 10 million trees by 2030, how can I check on that? And it really comes to very similar things that Nasreen is saying. You know, we have to basically look into those companies' policies. What what does it mean when they're planting trees? Because a tree planting initiative is good, but that doesn't actually solve the climate problem. But it always seemed questionable to me. Like, okay, thanks for planting this tree. But like, what happened with all the other parts of the thing you're making and how it, and getting rid of? Yeah. Some of the things that you can check is, you know, where are the trees being planted? Are they being planted somewhere to help rebuild an area that has been impacted by deforestation? 
who is planting them? Are the employees doing it within the company? Um, do they then follow up for caring for the trees? Or is it just like you put a seed and then it dies? Because those things are, are not great. And then are if you're involving you know native or indigenous communities in the planting process, are you benefiting those people? You know, are you creating jobs by creating this um, tree planting initiative? Um, and then what kinds and what species of trees? Just you know, make sure that they're native to the environment that they're planting in. Are you messing up the biodiversity of where you're planting these trees? So, just a lot of these questions that you can look at and find out. Um, by asking those companies, again, that are doing these initiatives? And ultimately, who are these trees benefiting? There are a couple of um, good tree planting initiatives. One is called Ecosia, which is an environmentally conscious search engine. They donate 100% of their profits to help replant Australia's native trees um, because of some wildfires that had come across Australia. And... Cariuma, which is a Brazilian shoe company that also helps plant trees in Brazil, which is a country that is subject to a lot of deforestation problems, um, which is not something that we have a ton of in the U.S. and in North America, but it does um, affect other communities still. So the companies that are helping replenish those trees is really the, the ones that you want to support. Next question is another um, listener-submitted question. I do see a lot of baby toys that will have like a certified B Corporation or like FSC certified wood. Are those fake or do those really mean anything in terms of buying toys that may be better than other companies for my child? So, Nisreen, do you know what a B Corp is? I should. <laughs> so a B Corp is basically a company that has to uh, create value, not just for their shareholders so not just for the people making money from the company, but also for all the stakeholders. So the employees, the local community and the environment that they're in. They're not really working for profits in the same way. Yeah, yeah. They have to show how their company is benefiting the employees, uh, making sure they have, you know, good livelihoods, and but also have, like, good treatment. I think Ben and, and Jerry's is supposed to be. Ben and Jerry's is one of the biggest B Corps. B Corps. Yeah. There's, like, a really long assessment, and they need to provide the company's impact data in social and economic categories. And the assessment has to be passed and they need to be recertified every three years. They also make legal commitments to transparency. So they provide all this data to everybody that asks for it. And to the B Corp, um, there's a, a B Corp lab, I think, that does all these certifications and they collect all this data. And so it is actually really good to support B Corps because they do have to provide, you know, this information and they are transparent and everybody gets access to the data and they benefit, you know, more than just the people making money from the company. Some really good ones, like Nasreen mentioned, Ben & Jerry's, there's uh, Allbirds, their shoe company, they make all their shoes from renewable resources like eucalyptus pulp and sustainably farmed wool. 
and they have to yeah yeah the sheepies the body shop is an interesting one that i would not have expected um it's a cosmetic company and they have a community trade partnership with women's association in northern ghana to help source the shea butter used in their products so that's interesting and cool yeah there's something like 640 women that they employ to like collect the shea butter and make it and stuff so that's creating jobs for local communities Outside of sourcing, Patagonia is a certified B Corp. It gives away, it has in the past, I don't know if it does it every year, but they give away 100% of their Black Friday profits to uh, nonprofit organizations working on protecting air, water, and soil quality. There's another outdoors brand called Cotopaxi. 10% of all their employees' work time is spent in local communities uh adventuring outdoors or doing service and you get to be paid to go on hikes which is that's awesome which is nice yeah um but the best way to check for any of these and what exactly are the specific companies initiatives is to go on the b corporation website they let you look at the company's impacts everything is like really well scored and they show you what the company's initiatives are so it really is a good initiative and it's good to buy from b corp companies And we've talked a lot about FSC. And so one of the questions was, what is it? Why do they put this labeling on things? And why should I care? So why should people care about the FSC certification and labeling? The FSC stands for Forest Stewardship Council. It's a management organization that's supposed to certify and confirm that products that are made from wood um, are coming from responsibly managed sources. So that means that they preserve biodiversity and um, benefit the lives of local people and workers and sustain economic viability in the forest for the future. So you need to be able to continue the forest, you know, um, and make sure that there's uh, enough economic value in later um, harvesting cycles of the wood. You can learn more about that by listening to our episode with Sappy North America um, on how they do that and a little bit more detail about the certification. Um, And also a little bit with our episode with West Rock. Um, Another similar labeling is, is it SFI? Yeah, Sustainable Forestry Initiative, I think. And that one is more based out of North America, whereas FSE is a little bit more global. Basically, it means that the wood that's being used is traceable. So any products that have this logo, the entire chain of custody of that product, so from the forest, collecting the wood, taking it to a plant where you know the wood is chipped, say it's being turned into lumber, that lumber is also certified to come from a forest that has the certification. It means that that forest is not being deforested, Um, It means that the local community was not harmed in the making of this lumber. And then even if you go further, um, take the lumber or take wood chips and turn it into paper or napkins or, you know, you see it on cardboard boxes. Basically, every step of that process gets audited by the FSC overseeing body. So you can trace everything back to sustainably managed sources. That just means that they didn't sneakily, you know, 
cut down a tree they weren't supposed to and put it in there. But basically, you do sh- you should care about FSC and these B Corp and these certifications because it means that there is an overseeing body that's looking into these products rather than just letting you know rampant, unenvironmentally fr- practices go about. And I believe a lot of these um, certification bodies are nonprofits. So if they're not profiting, they should be neutral in, in what they're doing. What can companies do, both big and small, to minimize greenwashing? Are there ways that companies can minimize greenwashing? Unfortunately, not really, unless there are going to be like policies or um, government regulations on it. Apparently, the Federal Trade Commission has a policy or instructs to companies to use clear and prominent qualifying language to convey that a general environmental claim refers only to a specific and limited environmental benefit, which I think just means that you have to be very clear about what benefit you're providing when you're doing labeling. So um, I think there's a lot more happening in the labeling space where I think regulating bodies are eliminating certain words to not be misleading. Yeah, I know in Europe, there we talked about this in our biodegradability episode. They are issuing legislation or trying to issue legislation so that people will stop using things like eco-friendly or carbon neutral as claims because they don't really mean anything. Um, you have to, you know, provide the data, provide the proof before you can claim any of those things. Um, but other than that, I mean, companies don't really have a big incentive to minimize greenwashing, right? If they greenwash, they buy more. So really a good way to stop them from being able to do that is to become more educated as a consumer and call them out on greenwashing. Yeah. And, and there are companies that really do care and are working to improve their sustainability and um, maybe doing it slowly. But a lot of the times making those changes are beneficial to their profit margins in the end, like reducing internal waste. There are those companies out there. And a lot of the B Corp companies are like those um, because they get audited more and have to care about their employees and um, their community more than just the shareholders. So those are some ways to try and um, at least have minimized your impact on greenwashing is to just be more scrutinous of everything that you read and not just buy something because it says it's, you know, four times greener than the leading alternative or whatever, because that doesn't really mean anything. I don't know if this is feasible, but for me, it's like, if you can get past the marketing person, if you can get to like <laughs> an actual like scientist or an operations person, you can maybe have a more nuanced conversation about what's happening or what it means. I've been um, looking for a mattress, and then these were questions that I was asking the salespeople, which like they don't get a lot of, but I thought it was interesting because it helped me decide between a memory foam and like a hybrid or a spring. But basically, I was like, "What are the like? What do they do with these mattresses at the end of life?" And the sales guy was like, "Well, it depends on the state. Some states like Jersey and Pennsylvania will recycle." but other states won't. And the memory foam ones, those just get discarded. But the ones with the strings actually recycle them and get the metal out and try to recycle them. So like that stuff might not be advertised, but asking 
like your salesperson if they have more info. And I even asked if like the companies, if you know, if the companies have a sustainability policy or sort of any sort of language. And he d- he didn't know, but maybe then he'll look it up for the next next person. So yeah, just ask questions, ask as many questions as possible, and I think that's really all we can do. All right. Thank you to everyone for sending in your questions. We hope that this was helpful. We hope everyone has happy holidays. And um, we'll be back in 2024 with more episodes. Hooray! This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. Music is by Shang Young. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGTM Podcast. Or you can email us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com.